You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. It's always more difficult to express yourself to one you really care for, isn't it? The words just don't come. There's a song uh, uh, about that when you're near, the words I choose refuse to leave my heart. I think that's very true. I think that something that comes to mind, I want to share a few things with you, and as Larry said, it's not going to be a sequential thing. When he used the word exegete, I wondered if I could even spell it. But <laughs> So if you're expecting an exegesis, is that the way you pronounce it? You're dismissed. <laughs> but there is something that There's one poem that goes, speaking of uh, one who is, speaks of a feeling of sadness comes over me, that my soul cannot resist, a feeling of sadness and longing is not akin to pain, but resembles sorrow only, as a mist resembles rain. And then the, as the poem goes on, it said, read to me something, and don't read from the, gray, the grand old masters whose dreary footsteps echo through the corridors of time. And... Uh, I couldn't help thinking that as Larry was speaking. Uh, so many, and I'm sure you, you've known them too. The, it's an old popular song. The song has ended, but the melody lingers on. I think it's so beautiful. You know, we had back in grammar school, I'm, I don't know whether uh, it's still, yeah, you, you had to learn this. Lives of great men all remind us you can make your life, we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. And we had to learn that. It was such a dreary thing. Uh, but that didn't help. But now that, that's a song of uh, an old ballad, but I think of it in terms of my father and Bill. The song has ended, but the melody lingers on. And it's still still there. The melody lingers on. Uh, And then just another thought that I wrote just before we came here. Even though so many impact our lives, that uh, only God can be known as an increasingly pleasurable experience. Only God can be known in that way, and we never have to. We, we have to be careful that these who mean so much to us don't take His place. Now, years ago, there was a hymn written by a man named Darby. He speaks of love supreme and bright, good to the feeblest heart, that gives us now as glory beam. But soon shall be our part. It seems that somehow or other, now and then, at uh, in his own time and his own will, he seems to break heaven and just say something to you that really uh, lifts you out of yourself. Something you you after you've uh, heard that, you try to find some way 
Can I bring it back? It won't come back. It's, it's something at his discretion, and he controls that. And I think you've often said, uh, heard Larry say, you cannot manipulate God. I've tried because it's been so some wonderful times. But uh, remember John, the Apostle John, he writes, writes in his 90s, and he said, looking back on those few years that he spent with the Lord, about three, three and a half years, he says, it's true, it's real. And he said, don't you feel it? He says, with almost all my hands have handled, I touched him. I touched him. And it's almost like a, uh, he, he's, I just think, I just like to, if I could see him as he wrote those words. Our hands have handled, I touched him. And uh, as I, in my 80s, think of John, I said, boy, you're sure on target, John. He does, this is real, this lasts. And what I'd like to do, I hope, this morning is to uh, pass on a few glory beans that may help you, as this helped me. One, uh, I'd like to say something in this, that Solomon, he said there's nothing new under the sun. And so what I have to say is new to me, and that's what makes it vibrate. Whether someone's written about it or not, I've often found, I think, boy, I've just found something. And uh, it has a tremendous, it has that newness. Uh, and I, I almost think I originated it. And I find later on someone's written it. And uh, so uh, what I have to say, uh, someone may, I'm sure uh, Solomon was right. Someone has always said it before. But who cares? You know, wouldn't we get a lot more done? Wouldn't we get a lot more done if we weren't so anxious to get credit for it? Uh, uh, so I have two, two thoughts that... Uh, come to mind, and I'm sure some of you have heard them before, but at least enjoy them with me. And uh, don't raise your hand and say, this is, I, I heard this before. I'm sure you have. But uh, in Acts 7.22, there's a, the, the verse there has, goes, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And I understand that the better translation of it and boy, this hit me like a Mack truck. I delight in the law of God after the man inside. Don't that change it? You know, the Holy Spirit becomes an influence, and we speak. And we can speak of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all scriptural terms. But on the way to Denver, we were we went to get the ask where the gate to Denver was, and we were met with the words, the flight to Denver, all flights to Denver have been canceled. So we stayed in Charlotte overnight, and I began reading this passage in Acts 7, and I began thinking in terms of that, and it's quite scriptural, the man inside, Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, greater is he that is in you than him than he that is in the world. And then the full impact hit me. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I have that dwelling inside of me. I have that person. And it staggered me. And I, I really, I, that was a glory beam. Within me dwelleth the Lord, dwells the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him dwelleth all 
the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And then you read in 1 Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Does that, not, does that do something to you? It did to me. I said, in fact, it got to a point I said, turn it off. I can't take it. I mean that. I don't want to be melodramatic in that. Because these things, when they hit you, you cannot uh, get that same thing coming back. But can you imagine what kind of a talk this would be if I could step aside and let the man inside take over? <laughs> if I could only do that, but there's too much of self in there. That's the first thought of the glory beam. Another one, the words uh, sheer delight. Sheer delight. Uh, one morning, I, this goes back a few months, I woke up, I don't know the time, maybe at 3 o'clock. I, I have a habit of doing it. And uh, But th- th- these words were in my mind, and I couldn't get them out. And I wonder, what in the Dickens... Where'd that come from? Sheer delight. I had nothing that uh, I thought could trigger it. And then I'd be, I got up and I began wondering about that. And then something came back, and I, I think uh, I think this is the glory beam again. Uh, when I was a youngster, as Larry told you, something of the circumstances and uh, of my father's passing, a sudden absence from the body, present with the Lord. Can you hear me? Or am I, I get away and I, my voice doesn't carry well. If you don't, uh, and if you want to, raise your hand. <laughs> uh, this was a few years after my father died, and it was, uh, I remember this Christmas very vividly. Uh, I had wanted a football in the worst way. A football, a genuine leather football. We had we used to tie up rags and play with rags, and uh, mother couldn't afford a football. It cost a dollar, and even in you know there's a difference in cost and the value of money now, but uh, a dollar was a lot of money. And I remember that Christmas so vividly. Uh, Christmas Eve, my brother and I, he was two years older, we would go out close to midnight to get a Christmas tree because. In Philadelphia, the vendors had to have the trees off of the streets by midnight. And you could get your choice of trees, you know, and we, we always got a good one. And so we'd come home, and then we'd go to bed. Just put the tree there, and we'd go to bed. And you know, Mother would get up about 5 in the morning so that when we woke up, there was a decorated tree with presents under it and stockings filled. I never appreciated that at that age. But, and I can remember, oh, I can see it now. I'm opening that package that she had the football in. Now, that was, uh, by today's standards, that was a pretty sad thing. It was a piece of leather with, uh, you open it up and you put a bladder in there, a rubber bladder, you blew it up, then you, you, you uh, put the strings on it, you strung it until you'd have a football. It was sort of this shape, nothing like the sleek stuff today. But that was wonderful. But I can remember, and I didn't appreciate it at the time, but this is when that, the words sheer delight came to mind. Looking over, and mother, she was looking down at her kids, and there was sheer delight in her eyes. 
sheer delight in her eyes as she watched and saw what she was able to do for her four children. And then I thought, and this is where I think uh, I fall down so badly. We think in terms of heaven, and we think, what a wonderful place, how it's going to be, how we're going to enjoy these the wonders of heaven for all eternity. We don't think about what enjoyment he's going to get out of it. Just imagine him uh, as he doles out all the infinite uh, gifts that he's able to give us, rejoicing in his ability to do that, and the sheer delight that must be in his eyes as he watches his children enjoying what he has to offer. And he'll never run out because he's infinite. But it's it's his delight that I, I think is something that should be in front of us. The, the thought of his delight. Because that's what he went through Calvary for. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. That he might enjoy that sheer delight as he watches you and me enjoying what he has to offer and enjoying him. What a ball he's going to have. I don't mean that in a frivolous way. As he pulls out all the stops for all eternity. And that uh, is the sheer delight, I think, of... that. I think that was the glory beam. I said, Larry, I want you to get... I, I got something for you. I want you to enjoy me just a bit more. And so I'm going to give you this. In 80 years, I've had very few of these. Uh, what Darby calls glory beams, but they're, they're wonderful. And now, uh, I, I have something that I thought uh, you might uh, find helpful. It's a kind of a fantastic thing. I have a habit of writing letters uh, that I know will never be delivered. Uh, I wrote one to my son, Bill, and uh, I read it one time here, and there were comments that I thought, I, I felt very happy about it. And uh, since then, I wrote one to my father, Papa, that's what he called him. That's old English, but, that, but he was always Papa to us, and I was Lawrence to him, never Larry. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to read that to you if you don't mind. I think you, you, you might, if you, it might, might be some help. I, that was my prayer before we came over here, that uh, maybe I could get out of the way and uh, if he didn't want this read, uh, uh, give me a f- choking fit or something so that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, he could do it, you know. Uh, dear Papa, I, I, can, I, can, I still see him. We have a picture of him at home right after they were married. Dear Papa, I wanted to do this for a long time, write you a letter. I, I wonder if you know of a letter I wrote to your grandson, Bill, sometime last, uh, last year. As with Bill, I know the address, but I don't know how to get it to you. <laughs> Maybe I'll hand deliver it. <laughs> That's not so far-fetched, you know. I think what I'll do, I'll clutch at my hands at the rapture. and. But uh, when you left us with Hush, God is in it, there were five of us. There's only two now. Uh, little sister Mabs and me. They were 
There's four already there, two to go. Well, the family has expanded, uh, Papa. Uh, Cecil had a boy, that's my older brother. I have two boys, Nellie, my older sister, had a boy, and Mabs, you called her Mabel, she has two girls. Now, which of us, or who of us down here can do more than guess as to family up there? Uh, here I think of two families, they're both all mine, the family into which I was born, and the family which began when the only girl said yes, and we went through with it. You'll enjoy meeting her. And then I remember, uh, Papa, years ago, Mother told us, when you and she were out some time, one time with some friends, uh, you introduced her to some friends with these words. But Mother got a kick out of this. Uh, this is my Laura. Uh, I know you like her. I do. <laughs> And I, I, I think that's the way I'm going to introduce my wife to my papa. And you're going to like her, because I do. Uh, and papa, do you know your little five-year-old Lawrence is now 80? Do you ever think of yourself in terms of earth years? Uh, I don't think of you in terms of earth years. I look at a photo on my desk and see a handsome man of 30-some years sitting on a wide chair, a charming woman, woman standing behind him, both hands on his shoulders. And you should see that picture. I wish I had it. Her hands are in the, and it's almost like, this is my man. <laughs> this is my man. Uh, neither, uh, you, uh, she aged. Mother lived a long life. You stayed young. But now, what does it matter? What does anything matter? You're both with him. All I remember of you is through the eyes of a five-year-old, but Papa, you left me good, good memories. Memories that give me some concept of the one we both call Pop, call Father, even to the realization of him as Papa, that intimacy. I have that feeling for the Heavenly Father because of my own father. Uh, so few years together. Papa, we all knew you loved Mother. You're Laura. We know you loved us. I remember family rules, rules that we sometimes broke and were disciplined for it, but we always knew there would be a smile and a hug. Papa still loved us, but he enforced discipline. Remember in the uh, dining room, we sat at a table, there was one rule. No elbows on the table. You put your elbows on the table, you stood in the corner, and you didn't look out for quite a while. That was tough because things were going on in the room with all the, the, the kids. And, but that was good discipline. Uh, do you remember Papa taking your two boys for a ride on the train, patiently explaining to a seven and a five-year-old how the steam was produced and made the wheels go round? I remember that. What change has 75 years have brought? Electricity, fascinating to you. That's the way he met his death, wiring the little storefront building below where we lived. That was where we met for worship. And he was going to get electric lighting there by Sunday. And he kept working till midnight with a towel wrapped around his head because a fever was coming on. He finished it. They had lights. But he went to bed and never got up. But what changes? Electricity was fascinating to you, but now it powers undreamed of inventions. TV, computers, and on and on goes the list, and automobiles. Now I'm going to talk a little Greek as far as the automobiles. I remember this. 
No longer do you crank automobiles. No longer do you have to advance the spark. Anybody remember that? <laughs> uh, adjust the choke? I could go on, but I don't think you'd be too much interested. Am I wrong in thinking you now share with angels knowledge of infinite resources that dwarf our technical miracles? What does God need of all of these things? It won't be long now before the six of us are together again. If I had a choice, I'd opt for the rapture. Uh, then we'll see each other as we were meant to be, not spirit beings as you are and now, but with bodies changed, changed into his likeness. Papa, you never knew old age. I wonder if mothers told you about it. I look at your photo, full head of hair, smooth skin, and although I can't see them, I'm sure you had all your teeth. Uh, you would have lost so much of these goodies if you'd stayed around. <laughs> Uh, I hate to inflict poetry on you because of the, it sounds like I'm uh, trying to make an impression, but there's, sometimes you find poetry expresses things that, that uh, and, and can be expressed no other way. Uh, Keats has a, a poem, Ode to a Grecian Urn. I'm sure most of you know it. Uh, and there he shows, those he, he shows on his urn, there exist in an ageless frozenness. And then there's a pursuit of joy that is constant, but there's no progress, no consummation. I'm writing this to my father because he, he used to read up on poetry. You know something far better, don't you? In thy presence is fullness of joy. This consummated. This isn't that pursuit. Uh, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I know this to a lesser extent, but you, but still it's a whiff of heaven. For you, it's a realization. For me, a yearning. Can you imagine seeing the face of the Lord for the first time? Wow. Uh, that's sort of beyond me. And sometimes, Papa, I share Longfellow's feeling of sadness and longing. As I read words from a woman, Elizabeth Allen, backwards, turn backwards, oh, time in your flight, make me a child again just for tonight, just to again hear your footsteps on the stair to hear Mother St. Papa's home. See, we lived in the second, we had the second and third floor over this storefront, which was used as our chapel. And there were side stairs coming up. You couldn't see uh, the stairway. There was a closed off, and here was where we lived. But about 6 o'clock, we'd hear Papa's footsteps on the stairs. And Mother St. Papa's home... And we're together. That was the thoughts that came to my mind just as a kid. We didn't think it out, Papa, but you gave us all then a whiff of heaven, the untroubled all is well of your being here. That was really something. He came home and everything was fine. And there again, you see, much of our poetry is so hopeless. Pope wrote, life can little more supply than just to look around and die. Uh, Papa, your love for us made life far more than sheer existence. You had so little, it gave so much. How I wish I'd known you better, longer. But those few short years were so good and so wholesome. I've got two boys, you've already met the older. Strange somehow to think of the younger now nearing 50, Larry is my son, even as I write to his 30-year-old grandfather. That's about the time when he died. 
Again, I look at the photos, the photo of mother and you, a photo very dear to me, but it's only paper. Will it soon be something like a step on the stairs, Papa's home, as we meet to be forever with the Lord? I hope you catch what I'm trying to say in that, uh, that letter. Uh, he gave us a, a whiff of heaven. And then, am I over time yet? Where's Larry? Oh. This is the last part. And, and unless, uh, unless I can step aside and something comes out, uh, not, uh, not tongues. <laughs> I'd have to have an interpreter then, wouldn't I? But uh, this I, I had written afterwards. Uh, I'd meant to ask Papa if he gave much thought to dying to us during his short time here. Didn't do it in the letter. It's too late now. The letter was an indulgence, sort of a reaching out uh, to someone. Uh, remember King David's son that died in infancy? And David said, I'll go to him. He can't return to me. That's the way the letter was written. I will go to him. When I see Papa, I wonder, really doubt if there'll be any talk of his or my thoughts on death Perhaps, not perhaps, but most likely it's going to be, we're going to talk over those earth days when we saw through a glass darkly. Before we came face to face with the one, now think of it, the one now joining in our conversation. He's going to be a person to everyone. He, uh, omnipresence, I think it's going to be very obvious there. He's going to be intimate with each one of us in a, you know, Paul caught that when he said, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And uh, it won't be, as he joins with our in our conversation, it won't be like those two on Emmaus Road. What a tragedy. They only knew him as he left them. They only knew him as he left them. And at that, what a time they must have had on Emmaus Road. Imagine a Bible study led by the author. Uh, that, that is, that would be, they didn't realize, didn't appreciate, their unbelief, their eyes were shut. And as I thought of this, writing to my father, there was a, Keats wrote, gone is a vision, do I wake or sleep? And yet a vision based on truth is more than a vision. It's more a foretaste of what I have not seen, nor God, nor ear heard, what God hath prepared. Prepared in the eternal now. Do I know what I'm saying? In the eternal now, the eternal now of God, and the vision, this foretaste, which I, I felt very close to my father as I wrote those letters, those words, it fades so quickly. This foretaste in a world that is too much with us, that present world that was so attractive to demons, you remember, and in so many ways so attractive to us, until God brings us to a point where, as a prodigal, we begin to be in want. And then the world doesn't have very much to offer, does it? He would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And how eagerly we do try those broken cisterns. I wonder if any of you have ever read the last writing of H.G. Wells. You know, he wrote very optimistically in his outline of history. Things were going to work out. Human, a human race would go up and up and up. Uh, and he, the, the last thing he wrote a mind at the end of its tether. And he says, forget everything I wrote. <laughs> he said, I was wrong. 
there's an implacable force that's angry with us, dead set against it, and he's going to win. That was his last writing. And then you find you find this in so many, the hopelessness in those who don't know the Lord. Shakespeare speaks, you know, life is but a walking shadow, a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And then Walt Whitman has something that I think is even more poignant. The restlessness after I know not what. Oh, if he could only have found the Lord. That restlessness after I know not what. So many write about death, philosophers, psychiatrists, theologians, poets. And so much, I think, is little more than an attempted evasion of its stark finality. They're afraid of it. Two, I understand there's an attempted postponement now by deep freeze. Anyone heard about that? I read something about it. I think it was Larry mentioned that Michael Jackson is talking along these lines. He wants to be preserved for posterity. I hope the music isn't preserved with him. Elvis was bad enough. But after all of that, you know, we Christians repeat happily, but sometimes it may be a bit glibly, Paul's thoughts of an instant change from here to there. Oh, Paul has it. Paul rejoiced in that. Death? Oh, it change the locations to be with Christ, which is far better. And I bet as he wrote that, he underlined the word far. Far better. But Scripture does understand that, which is that dread of death. Because in infinite understanding, God makes no attempt to avoid the terror of it. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You just can't go whistling past a graveyard, whistle a little little bit louder. And it's not a pleasant thought. Some of them, there are some who like the martyred, you know, Stephen, you know, was martyred. And he saw through the shadows. But I don't see in Scripture any promises like ecstasy for me. I wish I could see something I could depend on. I don't see that. Uh... I wonder if my passing is going to be... There are two passings that uh, Bunyan speaks of in Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure you've all read that. Christian, I wonder if mine's going to be like that. As he comes into the water, the final river, he sees a celestial city ahead of him, and he's going down. There's no other way. He goes down and he says, I can't feel the bottom. All my sins... How can I get through this? There's, there's no, 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 no sure footing. Next to him is a man, a fellow pilgrim named Hopeful. He said, oh, the bottom is sure. It feels good. He says, Christian, just, just uh, reach down. Christian had an awful time. Hopeful went through it with a song. But then both of them found a sure footing. And uh, both reached a celestial city. And both of them were enthusiastically welcomed with a good, well done, good and faithful servant. But what a difference in those last moments. We don't know. You know, Scripture says of those who are ungodly, there are no bands in their death. So we don't have a guarantee, but we do know the, the outcome, don't we? We'll make it. We'll fill the solid ground. Uh, you, you still see that Keats speaks of being half in love with easeful death. Easeful death. My father died an easeful death. Just imagine the last words 
Hush God is in. He found that at the end of his life, mother took that to, you might say, the beginning, the early part of her life, and it was a, sta- a sustainer for her. Then Thomas Hood, he tells a little girl passing away at daybreak, and I love this. Her quiet eyelids closed. She had a better, she had a better morn than ours. Her quiet eyelids closed. She had a better morn than ours. There's nothing down here will compare with the morning as we see his face. But still faced with all the grim reality, I can speak sincerely and confidently of a whiff of heaven so intensely, so inexpressibly sweet as to bring a longing for his presence. Whether it's an easeful death or plagued with doubting, it's still going to be worth it. And for you and for me, homesickness is, is normal for a believer. We look for a city whose maker and builder is God. You know, Larry spoke during the week about Cain. Well, he can have his city of called Enoch, and Nimrod can have his Babylon. Who cares? And there is music. There's a music of perfect harmony of a fully restored relationship once so tragically lost in Eden. And this, with this I close, I think it's, it's a choir led by our Lord himself. Do you remember in, uh, I believe it's Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, a singer sang loud in the presence of Jezrehiah, their overseer. Do you know what Jezrehiah means? I'm sure some of you scholars will know. It means Jehovah shines forth. And the typical meaning, I think, is incredibly alluring. Here God himself shines forth, is fully revealed in his Son, who leads the vast choir of the redeemed. The singers sang loud in the presence of Jezrehiah, their overseer. The rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth reaches an ultimate crescendo. As all his redeemed enter into the full meaning, and, uh, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now the whiff of heaven, and now the dim harmony but soon, oh, Father, may we get a taste of this as we go on from here. The whiff of heaven, the sound of music, that which is our assured portion. And then to think of him, that sheer delight in his eyes as he welcomes us home. Take whatever's been said and use it. I do hope it's been of thyself. In his name, amen. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.